Well, in the one minute we have left, I'm going to read you a verse, if you wouldn't mind. Please, Maharaj. the early audience. Yes. Amam hiranya paritim vanamalya barha datu pravala natabesham anavratamshe vindyastahastam itarina dunanam babjam karnot palalaka kopola mubabjahasam mukaabja. Muka Abjahasam, he has a, a, a smile on his lowest like face. His complexion was dark blue and his garment golden. Wearing a peacock feather, colored minerals, sprigs of flower buds, and a garland of forest flowers and leaves, he was dressed like a dramatic dancer. He rested one hand upon the shoulder of a friend and with the other twirled a lotus. Lilies graced his ears, his hair hung down over his cheeks. And his lotus-like face was smiling. Ananta Goranga, Jayashri, and Om are here. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Thank you, Prabhu. Jai. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Sashiburi. Sashiburi Dante. Om Sanwa, Genki Deska. Hi, Om Sanki no Modokniki Genki Deska. Kari Mashtaka. Hi. Okay, Shraddha now. You're on mute. Namasheshnam manamapishati putramatra sarupam shirupam tasa grajam uruparim maturim goshtavatim radha kundam girivaramaho radhika madhavasham rapto yasya pratita kripaya shri gurum tamnatosni hey guru kyanadadina bando swanandadata kurunaika sindo Vrindavana Sinahita Avatar, Prasita Radha Pranaya Pracharo, Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhara Srivasari Gora Bhaktivinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I offer my most respectful obeisances. Hundreds and thousands of times to the lotus feet of my divine spiritual master, his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and to all the previous Acharyas, to Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman, to Valmiki Muni, and to all the devotees who are present here today to hear the Ramayan and thus transport themselves back home, back to Godhead, just by hearing. Srinvatam Swakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Ridyan Taksto Hibadrani Vidhu noti suritsatam go pray hari hari bo. We're reading the Ramayan, taking up where we left off yesterday at page number 87. Hearing Kaikei's ultimatum, Maharaj Dasrath became stunned with bewilderment. Burning with distress, he wondered, what is happening to me? Am I perceiving a vision from a previous life? Perhaps I've gone completely mad. Thinking in this way, the king immediately became overwhelmed with grief. He lost consciousness and fainted onto the floor. Then when he had recovered after a brief spell, the agonized Dasharath found the situation too painful to cope with 
and again fell into a swoon. It was only after a long time that King Dasharath regained full consciousness. Summoning, summoning his courage, he felt a burning rage swelling within his heart. With great agitation, Marash Dasharath rebuked Kaike, you vicious woman, are you so perverse that you are determined to destroy my entire dynasty? What have I done to deserve this? What offense has Ram ever committed against you? Ram loves you as much as his own mother. Why are you so bent upon harming him? Everyone loves Ram more than life itself, and I also could not live without him. I could abandon my other two wives if need be, but I could never forsake Ram. His rage being vented, Maharaj Dasarath's mood suddenly changed. The king then humbly touched his head to Kaike's feet and pleaded, my dear beautiful queen, please give up your terrible determination. Ram is the embodiment of all virtues. He is kind, forgiving, truthful, gentle, fixed in his duty and the well-wisher of everyone. Ram has always served you as lovingly as your son Paras, if not more. If you insist, I will, set, I will install Parat as heir apparent to the throne, but I could never think of banishing Ram to the forest. How can you dare even consider harming Ram? Indeed, he is completely faultless and has never uttered an unkind word to you. My dear beloved one, have pity on me. Ask for any other benediction. I'm ready to give you the entire earth, but not this. If I banish Ram, I will surely die. Please spare me from executing this most cruel and irreligious act. As Maharaj Jasra spoke, he writhed in agony, wailing piteously. Although the king prayed for her mercy, Kaike remained unmoved. Standing fast in her determination, she responded, how can you dare speak about dharma well, you are trying to rescind your promise of granting me these benedictions. You solemnly promise, and I shall not forget. Remember King Shibi, who gave his own flesh to the hawk just to fulfill his promise of protection to the pigeon? If you fail to keep your word, it will stain the reputation of your entire dynasty. Therefore, whatever the circumstance, you must fulfill your promise. As Kaikei spoke, her determination increased. Overwhelmed by anger and greed and giving up all sense of shame and decency, Kaike said, O king, I know your true motive. Once Ram is installed as the heir apparent, it will be easier for you to push my son and me away. With this impediment removed, you will be free to enjoy your life fully with Kaushalya. However, I vow, however, I vow that if you do not keep your promise, I shall drink poison and die this very day. Then Kaike remained silent as Maharaj Dasarath agonized over her words. Staring into space with unblinking eyes, the king again lost all equilibrium and fell to the ground uttering, Ram, Ram. After some time, the king regained partial composure and asked his wife, Oh, misguided woman, from who did you learn such shameful wickedness? Do you not know that even if Bharat were to be installed, he would not accept the kingdom without Ram? 
what will people think of me for performing such an ignoble act? Everyone will ridicule me saying, there goes the lusty king who is so attached to his wife that he sent his beloved son into exile. How do you think there will be happiness under such conditions? Pausing in his speech, Marj Dasroth began wondering how Ram, who had always enjoyed the comforts of royal opulence, would be able to live a harsh life in the forest. As his pain and anger increased with these thoughts, the king suddenly mocked, Oh, righteous queen, I wish you all success in ruling the kingdom after having rid yourself of all your relatives. Do not expect me to play a part in your sinister plans. I shall never grant your demands, never. Regardless, the king's bluster soon faded as helplessness welled up within him. He again implored his queen to retract her statement saying, please take back all you have said, saying this, he again fainted. After, after Dasharath regained consciousness, he again rebuked Kaikei. Oh, how condemned women are. They are cruel, perverse, and selfish by nature. If not all women, then surely you, O oh mother of Bharat. Your demands are evil and malicious. I will never grant them. You can scream as you like, take poison, or threaten me, but I shall never banish Ram to the forest. Dasharath's eyes were red from weeping and his voice pitiful to hear, yet Kaikei callously turned her head away. Again and again he begged her, but to no avail. The king prayed that the night would never pass so that he would not have to face the ordeal of banishing Ram to the forest the following day. However, King Dasharath finally realized that Kaikei was unwavering in her determination and again fainted from hopelessness. While King Dasharath was arguing with Kaikei, Vashishtamuni completed the preparations for the coronation ceremony. The moon, Lord of the Stars, had entered the lunar mansion of Pusha, and the sacred hour of installation had arrived. As Vashishtamuni made his way through the streets to the king's palace, he saw that flags, festoons, and garlands decorated all the houses. Likewise, the streets, which had been sprinkled with scented water, were filled with throngs of people anxiously awaiting Lord Rama's appearance. Passing through the joyous crowds, Vishishtamuni, followed by other great sages, entered the palace grounds that were beautifully decorated with gardens and reservoirs of water replete with lotus flowers, swans, and shade-giving flower trees. As Vishishtamuni was about to enter the palace, he saw Sumantra, King Dasharath's chief minister, who had also just returned. Please tell his majesty that I have returned, Vishishta told him. I have brought golden water pots filled with water from the sacred rivers and a special seat of sacred wood has been made for Ram's use during the sacrifice. I've also brought various seeds, aromatic perfumes and precious jewels for the coronation. I've collected honey, curd, roots, ghee, milk, spices, flowers, parched paddy, grains and blades of sacred grass all to be used in the sacrifice. I've also brought eight virgin girls and many excellent elephants, a splendid chariot drawn by four horses, a special sword, a bow, a palanquin with bearers, an umbrella resembling the moon, 
a pair of Chamara fans, a sacred bull, and a throne decorated with carved lions. Everything necessary for the sacrifice has been collected. Therefore, please ask the king to bring Ram so that the ceremony may begin as soon as the moon has fully entered the constellation Husha. Entering the king's chambers, Sumantra soon reached the room where Dasrath and Kaike were sitting. Not knowing what had taken place between the king and his wife, Sumantra was joyful. He was therefore quite surprised when the king, whose happiness had forever terminated, cried out, Oh, Sumantra, you are cutting my heart to pieces, and fell unconscious to the floor. The king has not slept all night because of his joy over Ram's installation, Kaikei told him. Then the king regained consciousness and ordered Sumantra to summon Ram. At Ram's palace, Sumantra was quickly ushered into the presence of Sita and Ram. The king was garlanded with white lotus flowers with golden necklaces covering his transcendental body. Being attended by servants who were fanning him with chamras and, order, and offering him various gifts with great devotion, Ram appeared just like the Supreme Lord Vishnu, who in fact he was. Hearing the king's summons, Ram remarked to Sita, my father must be calling me for some auspicious purpose concerning the installation ceremony. As Ram departed, Lakshmana was standing at the gate, waiting for Ram with folded hands. Ram took his brother with him and then mounted his chariot, traveling through the streets of Ayodhya. Along the way, the citizens cheered, praising Ram to the accompaniment of musicians. Wherever he went, the people could not take their eyes away from him. Indeed, the natural characteristic of Lord Ram is that whoever looks upon him cannot bear to look away. Reaching the inner gates of his father's palace, Ram descended from his chariot and dismissed the citizens that had accompanied him. As he entered his father's room, Rama saw Maharaj Dasarath seated on a couch with Kaikei. The king's face was a withered mask of dejection and anxiety. As Ram approached, the king could only mutter, Ram, Ram, as his eyes filled with tears, unable to look directly at his son. Seeing his father's distressed state, Ram's heart became filled with grief and apprehension. He wondered, what has happened to make my father so dispirited? Why is he not happy to see me? Ram then inquired from Kaikei, what is the cause of my father's distress? Have I done something to offend him? The king, Kaikei began, is neither angry nor offended. He does, however, have something to tell you. He fears that by doing so, he will hurt you. Therefore, let me explain. Formerly, your father offered me two boons after I had saved him in a precarious situation on the battlefield. However, due to unmanly weakness, he now hesitates to fulfill his promise. Therefore, Rama, you should protect your father's virtue by convincing him not to fall prey to dishonesty. Oh, Ram, if you promise me that you are fully prepared to carry out the king's order, then I shall disclose to you the nature of the two boons I desire. <clears throat> Feeling deeply hurt, Ram replied, my dear mother, I'm surprised that there's any doubt in your mind that I would unflinchingly carry out my father's wishes, even if it meant entering into fire. 
please tell me what my father wants. Do not doubt that I will act accordingly. That is my solemn promise. Gaining Ram's assurance, the cruel Kaikei said, formally, when your father was severely wounded in fighting the demon Shambara at the behest of the demigods, I carefully nursed him back to life. Feeling a deep sense of gratitude, the king begged me to accept two boons. I said that I would accept them later in a time of need. Now I wish to utilize the, those boons. First, I have requested your father to install Parat as the heir apparent to the throne. Secondly, I have asked the king to banish you to the forest for 14 years, where you will live as an ascetic with matted hair and dressed with tree bark and deerskin. It is your duty to ensure that your father does no, not go back on his word and thus tread the path of unrighteousness. Hearing her words, Rama did not become even slightly distressed or agitated. Without any indication of displeasure, he cheerfully replied, my dear mother, I shall immediately retire to the forest as you desire. Let messengers be sent at once to summon Parat. I have no regrets. My only wish is that you and my father may always look upon me favorably. My dear mother, please do not harbor any ill feeling toward me. At this, Kaikei ex exclaimed with delight, it is settled. Send messengers to my brother's house so that my son may come here at once. As for you, Rama, I urge you to depart for the forest without delay. Do not worry about your father. For the moment, he is bewildered. But after your departure, he will come around. Ram then said, My dear mother, it grieves me that my father has not ordered me himself, but I am ready to depart for the forest with your command alone. Hearing this conversation, Maharaj Dasrath could only mutter, How painful! How terrible! When Kaikei finished speaking, the king again fainted onto the floor. Then as Ram gently lifted up his father, he told Kaikei, I do not want to live in this world as a slave to greed and passion. Like the rishis, I am devoted to righteousness. I would never give up the path of virtue for the sake of ruling a mere kingdom. Dear mother, there was no need in bothering my father. If you would simply have asked me directly, I would have unhesitatingly given you the kingdom and retired to the forest. Ram bowed to King Dasrath and Kaikei and departed to tell his mother the news. Lakshmana, who had heard everything at the door, followed his elder brother. It was only with great effort that he managed to control his rage. As the two brothers left the palace, a pitiful wailing was heard from all who had found out about Ram's impending exile. When Maharaj Dasrath heard those cries of lamentation, he hid himself under his bedsheets in shame. When Ram entered Kaushalya's apartment, he was joyfully greeted and ushered into his mother's room. When he came in, she immediately embraced him saying, I am so happy, Ram. Today you will be installed as successor to the throne. With great gentleness and humility, Ram replied, My dear mother, please do not allow yourself to be overcome by grief at what I must tell you. Because of two benedictions that my father formally promised Kaikei, Parat will be installed as the heir apparent to the throne. And this very day I shall leave Ayodhya to dwell in the forest for 14 years. 
Hearing this, Kaushalya immediately fainted to the floor. Then, after Ram tenderly lifted Kaushalya to her feet, she bitterly lamented, What greater misery could befall me than this? It would be better for me to have remained childless. Why has death not come to me instantly upon hearing of this calamity? My younger co-wives will surely despise me now. By hearing their taunts, my life will be made doubly miserable. Until then, Lakshmana had controlled his rage. However, no longer able to remain silent, he suddenly burst out, Oh, Rama, our father has become senile and perverse, being overpowered by lust. He has become a plaything in the hands of the wicked Kaikei. Why should we passively stand by and accept this? A father, a king, or a spiritual master who cannot distinguish between what should and should not be done must be rejected. Ram, you should take over the government immediately before everyone hears of the king's decision to install Bharat. Besides, even if all the ministers and citizens have found out, if they are against your installation, I am prepared to annihilate the whole of Ayodhya if necessary. My dear mother, you should know that I, at least, am loyal to Ram. Indeed, I am ready to kill the foolish Dasrath if it is necessary to install Ram upon the throne. Kaushalya, however, did not care for the kingdom. She only feared separation from her beloved son. She said, O oh, Ram, please do not go into exile. It will be more virtuous for you to stay here and please your poor mother than go to the forest at the command of your father. Ram, if you leave Ayodhya, then I shall fast to death, for life will become unbearable for me. Ram replied, Mother, it is not possible for me to disobey my father. Therefore, you must give me your permission so that I may depart for the forest at once. The order of one's father can never be avoided. Just consider how Parasharam beheaded his own mother, Renuka, on the order of his father, Chamadagni. Likewise, the sage Kundu killed a cow at his father's command. Therefore, I too must obey my father. Turning to Lakshmana, Ram said, My dear brother, do not allow yourself to come under the sway of all-devouring wrath. Give up the idea of seizing the throne by force and accept the order of our father. Ram again addressed Kaushalya. My dear mother, please do not torture yourself or talk of ending your life. After the term of my exile is over, I shall return to you. Therefore, please give me your blessing so that I may depart without unnecessary remorse. Kaushalya, however, could only cry in desperation. Then Ram became stern and said to Lakshmana, you are both causing me more grief by opposing my desire to honor my father's command. I will not be swayed from my duty. Then to pacify Lakshmana, Ram said, my dear brother, as soon as Bharat is installed, all of this will be forgotten. Then you will be able to easily give up your grief. Do not blame Kaikei, for she is only an instrument in the hands of Providence, the real shapers, shaper of our destinies. Lakshmita refused to be pacified. He angrily retorted, O Ram, it appears that you have become impotent, for you have given up your Kshatriya reliance on personal prowess and are just surrendering to destiny. I am not such a eunuch, however, and shall subdue fate by my own power. I will install you on the royal throne this very day. 
Hearing this, Kaushalya could understand that nothing could deter Ram. She then pleaded, O oh my son, if you are determined to execute your father's command, then please allow me to accompany you to the forest. Ram replied, My dear mother, after being deceived by Kaikei and then deserted by you, my father would certainly give up his life. The foremost duty of a chaste and virtuous wife is to never leave her husband under any circumstance. He is her Lord for as long as he, she lives. Regardless of how noble or religious a woman may be, she commits sin if she fails to serve her husband. A wife's duty is to please and obey her husband and no one else. This is the verdict of all the scriptures. Please then remain with my father and wait for me, for I shall return after 14 years without fail. Kaushalya gave up all hope of accompanying Ram and finally agreed to give him her blessings. After giving Ram permission to depart for the forest, Kaushalya induced the Brahmanas to perform sacrifices for her son's well-being. Kaushalya declared, may you soon return so that my happiness will be restored. May righteousness be your protector. May the demigods protect you and may the celestial weapons defend you. May heaven and earth, the air, the wind, the land and water and all animate and inanimate beings protect you. May daytime and night, the sun and moon protect you. May you be happy, O Ram, for my blessings shall go with you. Sita had heard nothing of Ram's exile. She had been waiting for him in happy expectation for many hours. When Ram finally entered her room, Sita could immediately see that he was pale, perspiring, and greatly troubled. Ram was also not accompanied by his usual royal entourage. Sita inquired, my lord, what is the matter? Without hesitation, Ram replied, my father has ordered me to leave the kingdom and to reside in the forest. Parat is to be installed as the heir apparent to the royal throne. Utilizing two boons given her long ago by my father, Kaikei has asked that her son be installed while I am to be banished to the forest. My dear Sita, I have no other choice than to abide by my father's order. However, I want you to stay here. Go daily and offer your respects at the feet of my father and follow Bharat's commands implicitly. My dearest, I have come here just to see you before departing for the forest. Hearing Ram's words, Sita grew increasingly agitated. With anger born of love, she replied, O oh, Ram, my husband, most excellent of men, what advice are you giving me? It is the duty of the wife to share the husband's destiny. I must accompany you to the forest. A father, mother, brother, son, and daughter-in-law all have their separate existence. A wife, however, has no choice but to follow her husband. I cannot take refuge in anyone else, not even myself. My husband is my only refuge. Therefore, I am determined to follow you. I shall walk behind you and eat only after you have eaten. I will never do anything to displease you, and I shall remain happy to gaze at the hills, lakes, and rivers. I will never become tired, for I will feel secure in your care. I would not want to live even in heaven if you were not there. O oh, Ram, it is you alone that I love. Without you, I would surely die. 
Because of her frailty, Ram was not inclined to take Sita with him. Thus, in an attempt to discourage her, Ram said, O oh, delicate lady, one has to endure great discomfort while living in the forest. There are no soft beds to lie upon, and one has to bear the onslaught of excessive heat, cold, and torrential rain. In the forest, one can only hope to eat fruits and roots. There is always danger from ferocious animals that stalk in search of prey. Considering these conditions, I could never allow you to accompany me to the forest. Ram's word of Ram's words of refusal made Sita tremble with fear at the prospect of separation from her Lord. As pearl-like tears rolled down her cheeks like drops of water falling from a lotus leaf, Sita replied, As long as I remain with you, any inconvenience or danger will be of no consequence. O Ram, without her husband, a wife cannot live. If you do not allow me to go with you, I shall give up my life by taking poison, entering fire, or drowning myself. Before my marriage, an astrologer predicted that I would have to spend part of my life in the forest. Therefore, my dear husband, I know that it is my destiny to accompany you. To be with you is heaven, and to live without you is hell. Therefore, you must take me with you. Ram remained reluctant to allow Sita to accompany him to exile. Sita felt as though she were falling into a great abyss of calamity. Thus she became almost mad, fearing separation from her husband. Unable to tolerate Ram's stubbornness any longer, Sita began to chastise him. My father made a big mistake in choosing you for a son-in-law. How can you think of deserting your wife who married you before puberty? You are going to leave her unprotected and exposed to the stares of others. The citizens of Ayodhya are fools for declaring Ram is as splendid as the sun. His glories are without equal. I refuse to remain here alone while you go off to the forest. Either you take me with you or I will take poison and die. Crying bitterly, her heart tormented with grief, Sita was on the verge of fainting. Her pitiful condition was more than Ram could bear. His heart softened and he took his chaste wife Sita in his arms. Ram then assured her that she could indeed accompany him. Dear Sita, Ram began, I only tried to dissuade you because I did not understand the true situation of your mind. Oh Sita, I could no more abandon you than a wise man could give up his sense of compassion. How could I ever rest peacefully? knowing that you were unhappy. Go then and give away in charity all your valuables, clothes, jewels, and whatever you possess to the promenus. As Sita joyfully departed, Lakshmana, who was standing nearby, came forward and caught hold of Ram's lotus feet. With tear-filled eyes, Lakshmana pleaded, O oh, Ram, please allow me also to accompany you to the forest. As Sita joyfully departed, Lakshmana, who was standing nearby, came forward and caught hold of Ram's lotus feet. With tear, hoping to discharge Lakshmana, Ram replied, My dear brother, you must remain here at Ayodhya to serve our two mothers, Kaushalya and Sumitra. Without your protection, they will surely be mistreated by Kaikei. To this, Lakshmana replied, 
Surely our brother Parat will take care of everything. There is no need to be anxious for our mothers, O Ram, as you traverse the forest. I shall walk in front of you, my bow in hand, allowing you and the daughter of the king of Videha, Sita, to enjoy the scenic delights. I will also gather fruits and roots as you sleep and stand nearby to guard you. At last, Ram agreed. He then instructed Lakshmana, you may certainly come, but first take leave of your mother. Uh, afterward, bring two mighty bows given by Varuna to Maharaj Janak, the impenetrable armor, two inexhaustible quivers, and a pair of powerful swords. After paying your respects to Vashishta, return here with the weapons and we shall depart. Having fulfilled Ram's orders, Lakshmana returned. Ram then asked him to summon the foremost of Brahmanas so that he could distribute all his possessions in charity. Soon thereafter, Suyagya, the son of Ashishta, and the sons of Agastya and Vishramrita uh, arrived at the royal palace. After duly welcoming them, Rama instructed his dependents to look after their palaces in their absence. Rama then ordered his treasurer to bring forth all his wealth. Thereafter, a huge hill of gold and jewels was stacked high, along with other valuables, such as clothing, chariots, and animals. In this way, Rama began to distribute his possessions. It happened that a Brahmana named Trijata resided in the forest near Ayodhya. Because of his extreme poverty, the Brahmana was very weak and frail. His wife pleaded with him to go to Ayodhya to ask some charity from Ram. Thereafter, the Brahmana set out and happened to arrive just when Ram was distributing his wealth. When the Brahmana approached him and described his impoverished condition, Ram jokingly replied, take your staff and throw it as far as you can. As many cows as that stick passes over, I shall give you. Trijita tightened his belt and then excitedly threw his staff into the air. To everyone's surprise, his staff soared all the way across the Sarayu and landed amongst a herd of a thousand cows that were grazing from the river's edge up to the point where his stick had landed. Ram then embraced the Brahmin saying, please not, do not be offended by my jest. I merely wish to see your exhibition of Brahminical prowess. After that, Ram gave away everything in his possession. He made sure that no Brahmin, a relative, dependent, or beggar failed to receive charity on that day. Ram, Sita, and Lakshman then proceeded on foot through the streets of Ayodhya toward the palace of Maharaj Dasara. The citizens observing Rama traveling about in this fashion, some, form, <clears throat> some from their seven-story mansions, and others in crowds on the street all became greatly pained. They cried, oh, how unfortunate that even common people are now able to see Sita, who formerly never appeared in public. We shall take our families to accompany Ram so that Ayodhya will be like an uninhabited forest and the forest will become like a populous city. As Ram entered Kaikei's quarters, he saw Sumantra and asked the charioteer to announce his presence to the king. Upon hearing of Ram's arrival, Maharaj Jasrath ordered Sumantra to assemble his consorts so that he could meet with his son in their presence. Shortly thereafter, 350 young maidservants came and surrounded Kaushalya. Then when Ram, accompanied by Sita and Lakshmana, 
entered his father's room, King Dasroth ran to embrace him. Overwhelmed by grief, the king fell unconscious before reaching his beloved son. At that, Rama rushed forward, picking up his father in his arms, while all around the people cried in anguish. After being brought to his couch, Dasharath regained consciousness. Ram then said, my dear father, I have come to bid you farewell. Please give me permission to depart for the forest with Sita and Lakshmana. Maharaj Dasharath urged, Rama, please accept my advice. Take me captive at once and then occupy the royal throne by force. No one can stop you. Ram replied, dear father, I have no desire to achieve sovereignty over the earth or royal opulence. Maharaj Dasrath then said, you may leave with my blessings, but please stay here for just one day so that I may have the opportunity to see you. However, Ram replied, I must leave immediately. It is my duty to fulfill your promise and do as Kaikehi has ordered me. I must leave for the forest at once. Maharaj Dasrath then embraced Ram and afterward, he again fell unconscious. Sumantra, who was weeping profusely, also fell to the floor. Everyone except Kaikei cried out loud, cried aloud with grief. Sumantra had been the most intimate associate of the royal family. Thus he, more than all others, suffered because of the calamity before them. Suddenly Sumantra approached Kaikei and began chastising her harshly, saying, oh, wicked woman, by sending away Ram, you will become the murderer of your own husband. Your selfish demands violate the religious principle that a kingdom be handed over to the eldest son. Indeed, you shall reap the bitter fruits of your evil deeds. For when Ram goes away, all the Brahmanas will follow him. Thus your kingdom will become devoid of all auspiciousness. I will tell you something for your benefit. Once upon a time, your father, Kaikei, received a benediction from a rishi, Kekaya. Once upon a time, your father, Kekai, received a benediction from a rishi that enabled him to understand all languages, even those of the animals. However, in giving the boon, the rishi made one condition. If Kekai ever disclosed the meaning of any speech that he heard from an animal, he would die. Later, the king once happened to hear the shrill cry of a bird. Because he understood its meaning, he began to laugh heartily. However, the queen, your mother, imagined that the king was laughing at her. Therefore, she demanded to know what he found so, to be so amusing. The king then informed his queen of the rishi's benediction, warning her that he would die if he disobeyed what the bird had said. Excuse me. Warning her that he would die if he disclosed what the bird had said. The foolish queen was so stubborn and jealous, however, that she replied, you can live or die. I do not care. I only insist that you tell me why you are laughing. The mortified king then went to the rishi who had given him the benediction, explaining his predicament. The rishi advised that he not disclose the bird's speech and that he should rebuke the queen for her impudence. Taking the rishi's words seriously, Maharaj Kekai gathered his courage and chastised his wife severely. After that, he lived happily thereafter. In the same way, Kaikei, you are acting impotently toward your husband. Admit your fault and give up your wicked plan. Kaikei, however, remained 
unmoved. Thus considering Ram's exile to be inevitable, Maharaj Dasrath ordered Sumantra, make ready one Akshohini of soldiers and organize many merchants, hunters, and the royal treasurer so that may, they may accompany Ram into exile. Though he may reside in the forest, my beloved son does not have to go without the objects of comfort and enjoyment. Hearing this, Kaikei was seized with fear. Parat will not accept the kingdom if you strip it of its resources before his installation. Growing progressively weaker, Dasra said, if you will not let Ram go to the forest in comfort, then I shall take all the citizens with me, myself, and accompany him. Kaikei snapped. In our dynasty, there is the example of how King Sagara exiled his eldest son, son Asamanjasa. Therefore, you should cast off Ram in the same way. Hearing this, the elder minister Siddhartha retorted, Asamanjasa used to take delight in drowning other children in the river Surayu. When the citizens complained of this to King Sagara, he rejected his cruel son. How is your comparison valid? Where is the fault of Ram? Ram interjected, my dear father, please do not be upset. I have no use for the royal comforts you desire for me. Let Kaikei's maidservants bring me tree bark at once so that I can wear suitable clothing for my forest life. Hearing his request, the shameless Kaikei personally went and brought clothes made from tree bark and asked Ram to put it on. Without hesitation, Ram and Lakshman immediately took their, off their royal garments and put on the clothes presented by Kaikei. Sita, however, felt very unhappy when she accepted her dress made from kusha grass and tree bark and her eyes filled with tears. When she tried to put the dress on, it kept slipping for she was not at all accustomed to such clothing. Ram then took the dress of tree bark and draped it over Sita's silk sari. This was unbearable to Vashishta. With tears in his eyes, he restrained Ram and chastised Kaikei with strong words. You wretched woman, don't you see that everyone is prepared to follow Ram? Indeed, you will find that even Parat and Shatrugna will follow him, leaving you alone to rule an empty kingdom. At least allow Sita to go into the forest with a comfortable dress and be carried on some conveyance. Sita, however, was determined to follow her husband's example and kept the forest clothes on. Seeing Sita's, Sita dressed in this way, the palace residents began to condemn Dasharath with strong words. Hearing their talk, the king lost all interest in continuing his life. Nearly one hour passed as Maharaj Dasharath remained delirious, incoherently mumbling words of reproach to himself. Later, when the king became a little more composed, he ordered Sumantra to bring a chariot to carry Ram to the forest. At this time, Koshalia embraced Sita and gave her the following womanly advice. It is well known that during times of misfortune, women will desert even righteous and loving husbands. Such wicked women forget all past favors and nothing can bind them. Because of ingratitude, such selfless women, selfish women cannot be controlled by wisdom, gifts, or even marriage. However, there are also women who are gentle, truthful, and obedient by nature. Thus, they honor their husbands above all. 
O Sita, please do not despise my son on account of his exile. Let him always remain your worshipable Lord in all circumstances. Sita accepted her words with folded hands and replied, I know well my duty toward my husband. Please do not speak to me about faithless women. My attachment to Ram is like that of the moonlight to the moon. There is no vena without strings or chariot without wheels. Similarly, there is no future for a wife without a husband, even though she may possess a thousand sons. Rama is my Lord, and he shall always be so. How could I despise him? Kaushalya began weeping, thinking of the impending separation from her son. Trying to comfort her, Ram assured her that the time would pass quickly. Then he took leave of his stepmothers as they wept loudly. Ram then went and clasped the feet of his father. Circumambulating the king with Sita and Lakshmana, Ram bowed low before his mother and father. Then without further delay, Ram, Sita, and Lakshmana mounted the chariot and departed for the forest. Thus Lord Ramachandra left behind his kingdom, opulence, friends, well-wishers, residents, and everything else, just as a liberated soul gives up his life and went to the forest with Sita and Lakshman. Maharaj Dasrath kept his gaze fixed upon the dust raised by the chariot as it gradually disappeared over the horizon. Finally, after losing sight of Ram, Ram's departing chariot, the king fainted and fell to the ground. When Kaushalya and Kaike ran to lift him up, Dasrath forbade the younger queen, saying, Do not touch me. I have disowned you. I no longer want to see you. Kaushalya lifted her husband, and while bringing him back, saw that all the stores and shops were closed, and a gloom pervaded the citizens. After entering his palace, the king asked to be taken to Kaushalya's apartment. From now on, the king declared in a faltering voice, I will still stay here only. Maharaj Dasrath passed the night with great difficulty. He felt that losing Ram was like the dissolution of the universe. Seeing the king and Kaushalya in such a miserable state, Sumitra tried to pacify them. Please do not lament for your son, for Sita and Lakshman are with him. Ram will not experience the least difficulty. Indeed, Ram is not an ordinary human being, but the God of gods himself, the illuminator of the sun and controller of eternal time. While Ram resides in the forest, the earth herself and all natural phenomena will engage in his devotional service. Have faith that you will one day see the return of your beloved son. Your lamenting serves no purpose. Already the citizens of Ayodhya have practically stopped all activity out of grief. You must pacify the subjects and not let them fall prey to anguish. Meanwhile, some of the citizens had followed Ram's chariot to the forest, begging him to turn back. Ram told them, I cannot break my vows. I desire that you repose in Parat, the same love you have for me. As they traveled, Ram saw how some of the elderly brahmanas were having difficulty keeping up with his chariot. Hearing their anxious pleas, Ram felt great compassion and descended from the chariot. Then, along with Sita and Lakshmana, he proceeded on foot, allowing the brahmanas to catch up with him. Still, Ram would not turn his face backward, for he was determined to keep his vow perfectly. 
Thus, as the Brahmanas constantly beseeched Ram to turn back, they reached the banks of the river Tamasa. As the sun slipped over the horizon, Sumantra and Lakshmana selected a site to rest for the evening. Then, after smoothing the ground, they met, made a bed of leaves for Ram. When he lay down with Sita, Ram quickly fell asleep. Nearby, Lakshmana stayed awake all night, discussing the glories of his elder brother with Sumantra. Early the next morning, when Ram awoke, he saw that some citizens of Ayodhya were sleeping nearby. Just see how much the citizens love us, Lakshman, Ram said. They will not give up their determination to follow me, trying to bring me back to Ayodhya. They have completely forgotten their homes and families. They should not be burdened by Kaikeyi's curse as we are. Let us go before they awake. Devising a plan, he told Lakshmana, let Sumantra drive the chariot in such a way that the citizens will become confused and, un and, and unable to follow us any further. After crossing the river Tamasa, Ram instructed Sumantra to drive the chariot on a clearly visible path while taking evasive measures that would mislead the citizens and then return. Sumantra then drove off and when he returned some time later, Rama, Lakshman, and Sita mounted the chariot and proceeded quickly down another path into the forest. When the citizens awoke, they looked in all directions for their beloved Lord. Searching desperately here and there, they found the tracks of the chariot wheels, but after some distance, the tracks suddenly stopped. Unable to determine which way to go, the people gazed into the distance and wept. With Ram gone, the people reproached themselves, saying, how can we return to Ayodhya without Ram? What will the women and children say when we fail to bring them back? What is the use of living here without the beautiful moonlight face of Ram? What is the use of a husband or children or even life itself? What good are household pleasures without the daughter of King Janak and the lotus-eyed Ram? With no alternative, the citizens returned to Ayodhya feeling extremely depressed. When the household women saw that the men had returned without Ram, they reproached him with cruel, harsh words. Many simply sat down and wept. Due to shock, some of them were incapable of speaking or hearing. Everyone in Ayodhya began condemning Kaikei, swearing that they would never live under her rule. Thus life in Ayodhya came almost to a standstill, appearing like a great ocean whose water had dried up. The Brahmanas neglected their duties and mercantile people gave up conducting business. Householders no longer took the time to prepare meals and the domestic animals let the grass drop out of their mouths as though stunned. The cows could not give milk to their calves and mothers no longer felt happiness in greeting their sons. Even the stars in the sky assumed a stern aspect. Feeling tormented with grief, no one in Ayodhya could eat or engage themselves in entertainment. Indeed, everyone appeared to be like, to be almost lifeless, being absorbed in feelings of separation from Ram. As Ram proceeded through various territories, villages, and forests, he heard the people condemning Dasharath and Kaikei for ex exiling him. Finally, after crossing the Veda Shruti, and Gomati rivers, Ram arrived at the river Sandika, which was, 
which marked the southern boundary of the Koshala province. Ram stepped down from the chariot and with folded hands faced Ayodhya to take leave of his birthplace. Many local inhabitants had followed Ram, and when he asked them to return home, they cried loudly, unable to depart. Thus Ram drove swiftly away, hoping to minimize their anguish. When they reached the Ganga, Ram asked Sumatra to stop the chariot under a large tree on the bank. The king of this territory was named Guha, a Nishada by birth and a close friend of Rama's. When Guha heard of Rama's arrival, he jubilantly came to meet him along with his ministers and relatives. Although born in a Nishada family and belonging to a lower caste, King Guha had all the qualities of a great devotee. He was peaceful, self-controlled, humble, tolerant, and charitable. In truth, he was superior to a Brahmana because he was fully surrendered. He was a fully surrendered devotee of the Lord. It is a great mistake to think that a man's caste is determined by his birth. That is not the Vedic conclusion. Rather, caste is determined by quality. Seeing Guha approach, Rama and Lakshman came forward to greet him, and the Nishada king embraced Ram with great affection. Feeling distressed at seeing the two brothers distressed, excuse me, feeling distressed at seeing the two brothers dressed in forest clothing, Guha said, My dear Rama, my kingdom is as much yours as mine. Therefore, please make use of everything as if you were in Ayodhya. I am honored to have you as my guest. Guha brought sumptuous food, comfortable beds, and articles of worship to treat Ram to a royal reception. Ram was pleased to see this and embraced Guha, saying, At heart, I accept all that you have offered to me. However, since I have taken a vow to wear only kusha grass, tree bark, and deer skin, and to eat only fruits and roots, I cannot utilize these gifts. Therefore, please take away what you have brought, except for the food, which I can use to feed my horses, for they are, in, they are the favorite steeds of Maharaj Dasharath. At that, Guha gave the sumptuous feast to the horses. Ram only took a little water, for he was fasting that day in honor of the Ganga. That night, Sita and Ram slept beneath a tree while Lakshman and Guha guarded them. Although Guha requested Lakshmana also to take rest, he refused to do so while Ram and Sita were sleeping. The next morning, Ram decided to cross the Ganga. Hearing his decision, Guha ordered his men to bring forth a beautiful boat to carry them across. When the boat arrived, Ram told Sumatra, Please return now to Ayodhya and serve Maharaj Dasra. Try to remain composed so that, you will be, so that you will be in a position to pacify the others. You have been of great help to us, but from now on, we shall proceed by walking. Sumatra pleaded with Ram for permission to accompany him to the forest. Ram, however, insisted, please go and attend to my poor father. Do not be aggrieved, for we shall certainly return in 14 years. Assure my parents of my well-being and urge the king to install Bharat without delay. Please also request Bharat on my behalf to treat all of his mothers equally. Unable to bear the thought of leaving Ram, Sumatra argued, When I return to Ayodhya alone on this chariot, the people will become hundreds of times more unhappy. 
O Ram, please allow me to accompany you. If you leave me aside, my life will become unbearable. I will surely enter fire or drown myself. Ram then replied, I'm sending you back to Ayodhya so that Kaikei will be convinced that I have entered the forest. If you do not return with this chariot, then some fear will always remain in her mind that I might come back at any moment. Turning to Guha, Ram said, I do not want to live in a forest surrounded by friends and servants. I shall go to an uninhabited place and live like a rishi. Therefore, please bring me the milk-like extract of a banyan tree so that I can mat my hair. When Guha brought the substance, Ram and Lakshman used it to make their hair matted, and thus they looked like forest-dwelling ascetics. Then, while bidding farewell to Guha, Sita, Ram, and Lakshman boarded the boat and departed. When the boat reached midstream, Sita offered prayers to Mother Ganga, asking for their safe return to Ayodhya. Then, after the three disembarked into the far onto the far shore, they continued their journey. Ram then instructed Lakshmana to carefully protect Sita by walking in front. Thus, Lakshmana walked ahead. Sita stayed in the middle, and Ram followed from behind. When night fell, they took shelter of a large tree. Both Ram and Lakshman stayed awake all night to protect Sita. That night, as they talked, Ram again urged Lakshmana to return to Ayodhya to protect their mothers from Kaike's persecution. Indeed, Ram became emotionally charged while thinking of his poor mother, and his face became covered with tears. While comforting him, Lakshmana was able to convince him that they could not live in his absence. And at last, Ram permitted him to stay. The next morning, Ram, Sita, and Lakshman set out again. After walking some distance, they reached the confluence of the Ganga and Jamuna rivers. Desiring to meet the great Rishi, Bardwaj, who lived there, Ram approached his ashrama and waited outside for permission to enter. Soon a disciple of the Rishi came to greet Ram and escorted him inside. Ram Sarl Bardwaj, sitting in meditation, surrounded by many disciples. Ram introduced himself and then related the events surrounding his coming to the forest. Thereafter, Bardwaja offered Ram, Sita, and Lakshmana a nice reception and served them many varieties of foods prepared from roots and fruits. The Rishi then offered them comfortable accommodations, saying, O Rama, I have been expecting your arrival since hearing of your exile. I wish you could spend the 14 years here peacefully in my ashrama. With my students at your disposal, you would not be inconvenienced. Smiling, Ram replied, O best of Rishis, your offer is very kind. However, were I to reside here, I fear many people would come to see me since your ashrama is so close to Ayodhya. Therefore, please tell me of an isolated spot where I can stay to fulfill my vow of forest life. Bardwaj then suggested, you can go to the Chitrakut mountain, some 60 miles from here. After crossing the river Jamuna, look for the giant banyan tree named Shama. Then you will know you are proceeding in the right direction. The entire Chitrakut area is beautifully situated with cascading waterfalls and meandering streams. The cries of 
peacocks and cuckoos will enchant your ears. And everywhere there's plenty of fruit and honey, like the heavenly Gundamandana hill. It is the most suitable place for leading a life perfectly in the mode of goodness. After spending the night at Bharadwaja's ashrama, Rama, Sita, and Lakshman took leave of the Rishi and departed. Later in the day, at the banks of the Jamuna, Rama and Lakshman prepared a large raft for crossing the river. Upon reaching midstream, Sita offered prayers to Kalindi. Reaching the far shore, they soon came to the banyan tree named Shama. Sita offered respectful obeisances to the sacred tree and prayed for their safe return to Ayodhya. Then, after waiting for some time, Ram, Sita, and Lakshmana passed the night on the bank of the Jamuna. The next morning, they resumed their journey. While walking through the forest, Sita questioned Ram about the varieties of plants and trees they encountered along the way. As Lakshmana walked in front, bow in hand, Rama took great pleasure in describing the wonders of nature surrounding them. In this way, Ram, Sita, and Lakshman finally approached the vicinity of Chitrakoot Hill, where they were pleased to find an abundance of fruit, roots, sweet water, and honey. When they came to the ashram of Valmiki, Ram, Sita, and Lakshman were happily received by the illustrious Rishi. Being invited to reside there, Ram ordered Lakshmana to bring some logs and construct a small cottage. Thus, within a short time, Lakshmana had built a nice residence with walls of wooden stakes and a thatched roof. At Ram's request, Lakshmana performed the customary sacrifices to the demigods for consecrating their new dwelling. When Ram entered the new cottage, he became happy, leaving aside the grief brought about by his exile. Meanwhile, after the departure of Ram, Guha had dispatched spies to observe Ram unnoticed. When they sent news that Ram had reached Chitrakut, Sumantra mounted his chariot to begin his painful journey back to Ayodhya. After two days, Sumantra arrived in Ayodhya in the evening and saw that the city had become nearly desolate. Everyone was deeply grieving due to the separation from Ram. Then as word spread of Sumantra's return, thousands of citizens came forward into the street and crowded around him, hoping to hear some news of their beloved prince. They anxiously waited for Sumantra to speak. In reply to the anxious inquiries, Sumantra explained, the lotus-eyed Ram has sent me back after reaching the banks of the Ganga, not allowing me to escort him further. Ram now journeys by foot through the forest with Sita and Lakshman. Realizing that the Lord was not returning, some of the citizens fainted and others wept. Because we cannot see Lord Ram, we are condemned, they said. Alas, we have lost him. But we can never forget how he used to glance at us affectionately and speak lovingly. When will we ever see him again? The people were grief-stricken as they recalled how Rama used to tend to their welfare, just as a father looks after his children. Sumatra then entered the royal palace to see the afflicted Dasharath and relay the Lord's messages to him. Hearing Sumatra speak of Ram, the king immediately fainted from feelings of separation. Trying to assist the king, Kaushalya also swooned and likewise had to be helped.
Before Sumatra could speak, the queen said, why are you now lamenting? It was you who so unkindly banished your son to the forest. You value truth more than your own son, in whom all truth resides. Arise, O king, lest your followers begin to doubt the wisdom of your actions. If you continue to lament, your subjects will perish in the fire of separation from Lord Rama. Lashed by the sharp words of Kaushalya, the king came to his senses. King Dasrath then said, O Sumantra, please fully describe whatever Ram has said while departing. Where is he living? What is he eating? For all these years he has been accustomed to luxury. How has delicate Sita been able to live in the forest atmosphere? Surely her frail body cannot bear the scratch of a thorn or the scorching heat of the sun. And how is my beloved son Lakshmana? What are his austerities? What is he eating? Have they sent me any message? O Sumantra, I can only survive on the strength of your reply. Sumantra knew that Maharaj Dathra's life could only be sustained by hearing about Ram. Thus he began to speak as follows. At the time of our parting, Ram instructed me to return to Ayodhya to render service unto you and Parat. Ram's only concern is for your welfare, and thus he wants to ensure that your promise to Kaikei is fulfilled. He also requested that I inform his mother, Kaushalya, that he is faring well. In addition, O Kaushalya, your son has requested that you remain constantly devoted to righteousness and worship your husband's lotus feet as you would those of a deity. Moreover, he has asked that you shun the pride born of position and seniority and treat Queen Kaikei as your superior. Likewise, my king, he requests you to install Bharat as his heir apparent to the throne without delay. Even though young in years, he is still a king and deserves to be honored. Rama then asked me to relay a message to Bharata, begging that he should look upon Kaushalya as Sumitra and he does his own mother. Moreover, O Emperor, I must inform you that poor Sita just stands motionless, oblivious to everything and sighing. She has never experienced adversity before and she did not impart any message. As I was about to leave, however, she looked at the royal chariot and suddenly burst into tears. After offering obeisances, I left, but my horses wandered for they were also blind with tears. O emperor, as I returned to Ayodhya, I saw that every moving and non-moving creature within the Koshala kingdom was in a pitiable condition due to separation from Rama. Overcome by intense separation from Ram, even trees, flowers, and fruits have withered up from grief. The rivers and lakes have dried up. The forest animals do not even move about. Nor do reptiles search for food. In the ponds, the lotus flowers and the fish have perished. In the cities throughout your kingdom, the gardens are desolate and the birds that used to sing in them have fled. Moreover, seeing this chariot arrive without Ram, the citizens have been cast into a dazed, almost unconscious condition. The stunned condition exhibited by the citizens of Ayodhya occurs when a devotee experiences ecstatic tribulation, fear, astonishment, lamentation, or anger on behalf of the Lord. There are many instances of devotees becoming stunned when they thought they had lost the Lord's association. 
during Lord Krishna's pastimes, the milkmaids of Vrindavan were frequently in a stunned condition, and the coward boys, elders and cows, were stunned when they thought that Krishna was going to be killed by Kaliya or some other demon. Such a condition is symptomized by the inability to speak, the cessation of movement, a feeling of voidness, and an extreme awareness of separation from the Supreme Lord. Such ecstatic emotions are relished by great devotees who have no, who have no material desires and have surrendered everything to the Lord's lotus feet. Just like the residents of Vrindavan, the people of Ayodhya were stunned due to transcendental love. After hearing Sumantra's words, Maharaj Dasrath became even more overwhelmed with grief. In a fit of despair, he declared, you must take me to where Ram is staying or somehow bring him here. Otherwise, I shall die. I emerged in an ocean of grief. The two boons I granted to Kaikei are the shores of that ocean, and the term of Ram's exile is, is its extent. My inward and outward breasts are the waves and whirlpools. That ocean is further agitated by the inflowing river of tears shed by Kaushalya and others. The flaying of arms in agony is the leaping of the fish in that ocean. The disheveled hair is the seaweed, and our loud crying is its roar. Kaikei is a submarine fit fire that causes showers of welled up tears, and the words of mantra are the alligators that infest its waters. After speaking, Marjasrath again fainted, and Kaushalya, who had become almost mad with grief, writhed on the floor. In agony, the queen wailed, O Sumantra, if you do not take me to Ram, at once I will surely die. Sumantra could only hope to comfort the queen by saying, My queen, since he is in the company of Sita and Lakshmana, Ram will pass his time quite happily in spite of living in the forest. Thus, even though Kaushalya was the foremost of wives, she began to address Maharaj Jasrath as follows. It is your fault that my son has been exiled, allowing these miseries to befall us. How could you be so cruel to your own son and his delicate wife? How will Ram and Sita bear having to lie down upon the bare ground? How will they be able to maintain themselves eating only raw fruit and roots? How will they survive the freezing cold, the winds and torrential rains? How will they protect themselves from the ferocious animals that wander through the jungle at night in search of prey. Even if Ram survives and returns to Ayodhya after 14 years, Bharat will never be willing to give him back the throne. Indeed, even if Bharat were to offer it, Ram would never accept something that had already been enjoyed by his younger brother. I am so unfortunate for having a wretched husband like you. The primary support of a woman is her husband. Since you are fully under the control of Kaikei, I am bereft of that shelter. The secondary support of a woman is her son, and since I am separated from him, I am doomed. Kaushalya's lamentations were so painful to hear that Maharaj Dasarath lost consciousness again. Then Kaushalya realized how her husband was suffering from her words and her heart softened. When the king regained consciousness, they reconciled, and he related the following story. One who does not consider the good or bad reaction of a particular deed 
is certainly a great fool. One who cuts down mango trees to grow thorn bushes will undoubtedly repent at harvest time. By banishing Ram to the forest, I have certainly followed his example. Long ago, when I was a young prince, I learned the art of piercing an invisible object with my arrow simply by hearing its sound. Once, as I was hunting at night on the banks of the river Sarayu, I heard a sound that I thought to be of an elephant drinking water. However, after shooting my arrow in that direction, I heard a loud scream and a human voice called out, who has so cruelly pierced me with his arrow, even though I am an innocent Rishi? As that pitiful voice cried out in pain, I ran in the direction of the crying. Thus I came upon a young, young ascetic boy lying upon the ground with my arrow stuck in his body. Seeing me before him, the boy said, my old and blind mother and father are waiting for me to bring them water. You have not only killed me, but them as well. Without my care, they will be unable to continue living. Please go and confess to them that you have mortally wounded me. Before you leave, please pull out this arrow, for it is giving me great pain. Marj Dasroth continued, I hesitated to pull out the arrow because I was afraid if I did so, the boy would die immediately. Seeing my reluctance, the boy assured me, saying, do not fear, thinking you will be killing a Brahmana. I was born of a Vaisha father and Shudra mother. After hearing these words, I pulled out the arrow. When I did, the boy instantly gave up his life. I then filled his water pitcher and proceeded with a grief-stricken heart to the ashrama of the boy's parents. There I saw the old, feeble, blind couple. Hearing me approach, they thought I was their son and began to address me with affectionate words. This caused my heart great pain, but I took courage and explained to them how I had accidentally killed their son. I'm not your son, I explained, but a Kshatriya named Dasharath. I mistook the sound of your son collecting water for an elephant drinking. In my ignorance, I shot an arrow and killed your son. Your Holiness, please tell me how I can atone for my sin. Because Dashroth was a learned man, he knew that he could not escape the reaction of a sinful deed. Thus he intelligently inquired about the proper means of atonement. Scriptures advise every intelligent man to atone for his sins before death to avoid suffering in the next life. One has to make restitution according to the gravity of the offense. Even though many people today question the existence of a future life, the stringent laws of karma, action and reaction are at work, and no one else is excused, not even on the plea of ignorance. When people break the laws of God and nature, they must reap the results, birth after birth, possibly descending to the lower species or to the hellish planets. In order to avoid this, Dasharath immediately tried to counteract his sin. After hearing me, the old sage replied, because you have voluntarily confessed your sin, I shall not curse you. If I were to do so, then you would die instantly. Since you killed my son out of ignorance, your life shall be spared. Now please take me to where my son is lying. I led the blind couple to where their son lay lifeless and they began to caress his body and cry out pitifully. Then as soon as they offered libations of water for their son's departed soul, 
King Indra descended to that spot on the celestial chariot. After assuring the aged parents that they would attain the same exalted destination as their son, Indra took the boy in his celestial form to the heavenly planets. The old ascetic then cursed me. Just as we are now experiencing great anguish upon the death of our son, you will have to feel the same grief due to separation from yours. Then the old sage and his wife threw themselves upon their son's funeral pyre, thus giving up their lives and ascending to heaven. My dear Kaushalya, today I am reaping the fruits of my horrible crime. I am dying of a broken heart. I can feel the power of my senses ebbing away like the flame of an oilless lamp. I know that death will come to me very soon. O oh, queen, I have already become blind with grief. Please touch me so that I can be assured of your presence. Maharaj Jasrath continued to lament in separation from Ram while remaining fully absorbed in his memory. When half the night had passed, the king left his mortal body. Because he so greatly loved his son, Ram, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, King Dasarath attained the Lord's abode in the spiritual sky where Lord Ram reigns eternally. Any devotee who always thinks of the Lord while eating, sleeping, working, or relaxing attains the Lord's transcendental abode. Thus, although King Dasarath had to endure the reaction of his past offense, he achieved his, his desired goal, eternal association with Lord Ram. The next morning when the bards came to awaken the king, his servants stood outside the door with folded hands. However, when his consorts entered the room, they found his body without any sign of life. The women cried out in, the women cried out in horror, waking Kaushalya and Sumitra with a start. When the two queens saw that their king had passed away, they fell to the floor in agony. Hearing this uproar, Kaikei also came. When she understood that the king had died, she too began crying piteously. While caressing her dead husband's head, Kaushalya harshly addressed Kaikei. I will mount the king's funeral pyre so that I can reside with him in the place where he has gone. Only a sinful wretch like you can bear to go on living in the absence of her husband. The ministers came and led Kaushalya away, trying their best to pacify her. Thereafter, they preserved the body of Maharaj Jasrath in a vat of oil, since the funeral ceremonies could only be performed in the presence of a son. Being bereft of their ruler, the citizens of Ayodhya were plunged into gloom. No one is able to sleep that night. The people gathered in the streets, publicly reproaching Kaikei to vent their grief. The next morning, the leading brahmanas of Ayodhya gathered at the court, urging the king's ministers to install one of the king's sons that very day. Addressing Vashishta, Vamandeya, Markandeya, Kasyana, Gautama, and other rishis, the brahmana said, the brahmanas said, a country without a king is doomed. In such a place, rogues and thieves take advantage of the situation and lawlessness prevails. In a kingdom without a ruler, ownership disappears. Sons disobey fathers, charity is forgotten, and religious practice declines as the citizens exploit one another. The Rishis replied, what you say is perfectly correct. It is the king that makes the demarcation between good and evil in this world. Bereft of a good king, subjects 
are just like cattle without a herdsman. Vashishta suggested, since Bharat has already been selected as heir apparent, he should be installed upon the throne immediately. Let swift messengers go now to the capital city of King Kaikei to bring back Bharat, of King Kaikai to bring back Bharat and Shatrugna to Ayodhya. Everyone agreed to the proposal and messengers were instructed to tell Bharat only that he was urgently required at Ayodhya. After traveling for several days, the messengers arrived at Kekai's capital during the night. In the meanwhile, Bharat had experienced a ghastly dream. He awoke in a most disturbed state and seeing his despondency, Shatrugna and his other friends tried to cheer his spirits. Bharat, however, failed to find their joking words amusing. They then inquired from him seriously about his inner disturbance. Bharat explained, Last night in my dreams, I saw my father, disheveled and ejected, fall from a mountaintop into a pool of cow dung. As he floundered in the mire, the king drank oil from his cupped palms and laughed hysterically like a madman. Then after the oil was spread over his body, the king began to eat rice that had been cooked in it. Suddenly the scene changed and I saw that the ocean had become dry and the moon had fallen onto the earth. As the earth remained enveloped in darkness, rakshasas wandered its surface while volcanoes erupted, spewing fire and lava. Then that scene evaporated and I saw that the tusks of my father's elephant had been broken. Young, dark-skinned women began harassing the king who is dressed all in black and smeared all over with red sandalwood paste, adorned with a garland of red flowers and seated upon an iron throne. Finally, I saw a chariot drawn by donkeys, swiftly carrying my father toward the south. After witnessing this ghastly nightmare, I've concluded that my father, one of my brothers, or I myself will surely die. Even now, although I know not why, I feel constant fear within my heart. My voice has become hoarse and my complexion has lost its luster. My mind is reeling and I feel shame and hatred, all for no apparent reason. Indeed, the more I think, the more I am convinced this nightmare forebodes great evil. Well, Maharaj Bharat was while Maharaj Bharat was speaking, the messengers from Ayodhya entered the room. After offering their respects, they related their message. O Prince, you are summoned to Ayodhya by the ministers of Vashishta. Your presence there is urgently needed. When Bharat asked them about the welfare of his parents, they replied as instructed, telling him that all was well. Suddenly eager to depart, Bharat took leave from his maternal grandfather and uncle. Upon his leaving, Maharaj Ashwapati gave Bharat many valuable gifts. However, Bharat hardly considered them because of the urgency conveyed in Vashishta's message and the premonition in his dream. Accompanied by Shatrugna, Bharat mounted his chariot and hurriedly departed, accompanied by a large army supplied for his protection. After passing through various territories in great haste, Bharat 
arrived at the outskirts of Ayodhya on the seventh day of his journey. Pari could discern from some distance that the city did not have its usual cheerful spirit. When Parat then entered the capital, he saw that everyone was grief-stricken. Parat then confided to his charioteer that the signs before him indicated the demise of his father. The entire city of Ayodhya appeared neglected. Because the citizens had ceased performing their occupational duties, the entire place looked dirty and deserted. With tears in his eyes, Bharat entered his father's palace. Failing to find the king in his usual room, Bharat hurried to his mother's apartment. As soon as he entered her room, Kaikei jumped up from her seat, overjoyed to see her long-absent son. After Bharat bent down to touch his mother's feet, Kaikei lifted him up and lovingly placed his head on her lap. Kaikei inquired about the welfare of her father and his kingdom. In reply, Parat assured her that all was well. Then Parat said, I have hurried back because of Vashishta's summons. How is my father? Why do I not find him in his room? Kaikei calmly replied, The king, Maharaj Dasrath, has passed away, my dear son. Hearing this, Parat fell to the floor, grief-stricken, and began crying aloud. Kaikei tried comforting him, saying, Dear Parat, please do not become overwhelmed by sorrow. Pious and enlightened persons remain equipoised and do not give way to such lamentations. Part then asked his mother how the king had died and if he had left any message for him. Then he requested, please send someone for Ram immediately and inform him of my arrival. As if relating good news, Kaikei frankly replied, Ram has left the Kaushala kingdom, being exiled to the forest. He now wears tree bark, and Sita and Lakshmana have followed him. Your father could not bear to live in separation from Kaushalya's son, however, and thus he gave up his life while crying out, O Ram, O Sita, O Lakshman. When Bard asked why Ram had been exiled, thinking he may have killed a Brahmana, Kaikei, determined to manipulate the events, replied, In your absence, the king suddenly announced that he intended to install Ram as the heir apparent to the throne the very next day. To save ourselves from being dominated by Kaushalya and her son, I took advantage of two benedictions your father had awarded me when I saved his life on the battlefield. With the first boon, I demanded that you be installed on the throne. And with the second, I banished Ram to the forest for 14 years. Ram was always Dashra's favorite, and without him, he died of a broken heart. Therefore, you must accept the royal throne this very day after performing the funeral ceremonies for your deceased father. Please take heart and give up your grief. Bharat became fiery with rage. He rebuked his mother saying, oh, wicked woman, you must be the goddess Kali herself appearing to destroy the entire universe. You have killed my father and exiled Ram, who is dearer to me than life itself. You are so perverse that you believe I will actually accept the throne from you, especially now? You are not my mother. You are my worst enemy. I pray that you go to hell for what you have done. Sinful woman, I will never allow you to fulfill your selfish ambitions. I will leave now for the forest and bring Ram back to rule the kingdom. 
After Ram is installed, stalled, I will act as his eternal servant, for that is my natural position and highest aspiration. Are you so hard-hearted that you cannot understand how Kaushalya must feel in the absence of her only son? Once the celestial Kamadenu named Surabhi happened to see that two of her sons had fallen to the ground unconscious. The two bullocks had worked very hard all day for a cruel farmer, plowing the fields in the hot sun. When Surabhi saw them in such pitiful conditions, tears fell from her eyes upon Indra's head. When Indra looked up to see the aggrieved Surabhi, he inquired of the curse, he inquired of the cause of her distress. After Surabhi explained what had happened, Indra said, in the entire world, no one can be more dear to a mother than her son. Bart Parat vowed, O oh, wretched woman, not only will I bring Ram back from the forest, but I too will spend 14 years in exile just to keep my father's promise intact and save Ram from the sin of abandoning his vow. Saying this, Parat fell to the floor unconscious due to excessive grief and exhaustion. Then after a long time, he recovered and spoke to the ministers gathered there. I have no desire to become emperor of the world, for I consider myself a servant of my elder brother, Ram. Being away in a distant place, I had no idea of my mother's wicked schemes. Please believe me when I say that I had nothing to do with Ram's exile. Kaike's desires are not shared by me. Kaike was not prepared for Bart's reaction to her manipulations. When she saw that her plans were destroyed, her illusion was suddenly dashed. She appeared to be awakening from a bad dream. Tears welled up in her eyes and her heart filled with anguish. Meanwhile, Kaushalya heard Bharat's voice and went to meet him. On the way, however, she fainted just at the time when Bharat and Shatrugna were coming to see her. Thus the two brothers, saw Kaushalya lying on the floor. Picking her up, they embraced her, tears streaming from their eyes. And thus ends this evening's reading of the Ramayana by Valmiki Muni. We thank everyone for joining in this reading. It's very auspicious to hear these uh, pastimes of Lord Ram and uh, lifetime of a human being is especially meant for gathering uh, some scars, uh, those that uh, leave the impression of the Supreme Personality of God. In. And reading the, these sections about the, the separation and how deep it is in the hearts of the devotees, how attached they are to Ram, he's more dear than their own life. It leaves quite an impression, doesn't it? And I was considering today how, oh, as we uh, gather these impressions in, in our minds and hearts, they, uh, they accumulate and they also uh, grow. They're alive, they're spiritual. And uh, we become transformed from the inside out from this hearing process. Uh, Leela and Nama. If we hear the Leela of the Lord and we take uh, advantage of chanting his holy names, then everything can be achieved, including uh, going back home, back to Godhead. So thank you everyone for honoring this reading and uh, drinking in the nectar through your ears. May the whole world um, 
become auspicious by uh, the uh, vibration of the Raman. Gaur Premanande Haribo. Haribo. Vanchakopada Rusha, Kripa Sindhabeva Chapatitanam, Pavanibyo, Vaishnavibyo, Namo Namaha. Gaur Premanande Haribo. 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 Please you. Hare Krishna, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, hey Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman, Natari Armarman.